Good to see you. My name is Mark Schuler. I'm the pastor of Adult Ministries here at Harvest. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to share God's word with you. So just want to thank uh, Pastor Tim and the elders for the opportunity today. Well, we've been in a series called White Hot Church. And uh, that got me thinking this week a little bit. Um, and it brought me back to this memory a few years back. So uh, a few years ago, my family and I, we were grilling out on the patio making some food. You like to grill over the summer? right? Good stuff, chicken, hamburgers, hot dogs, things like that. So we were grilling. I finished grilling and uh, grabbed the food, go inside, and we start eating dinner. And about five minutes into the dinner, uh, my five-year-old daughter at the time looks over and she goes, Dad, there's a huge fire in the backyard. And so I look over and I see it, and, and the grill is engulfed in flames. Just black smoke, fire everywhere. I run outside, I open up the door, and it was one of those where the, the, the heat just kind of hits you right in the face. And so I'm kind of freaking out. And I'm thinking, I don't know if this propane tank's going to blow up. The whole cover, which was black, is now turning white. So I run inside, grab the fire extinguisher, run back outside. I, I pop open the grill somehow, just whack it open, and I just start with the fire extinguisher. As I'm doing this, I look over, my kids are in the window like this. (laughs) And so I keep going, about a couple minutes later, I set it down, everything's out, my grill is ruined, of course. I walk inside, they're still looking, I said, well, let's eat. So we walk over to the table, we start eating, and uh, my daughter looks over and she goes, dad, dad, I was like, yeah, she goes, you're like a superhero. <laughs> I got to admit, I was feeling really good at the time. I'm like, yeah, I kind of am, I thought to myself. I'm fireman or I'm grill man. But really, I was dumb grill dad who never cleans his grill out, and so he gets grease fires. Look, that, that was one of the, the hottest things that I can remember. It was white hot. But, but what would it look like for us to be a church like that? Not, not, not physically hot like the grill, but spiritually hot. Look, souls on fire for God. White, hot church. The, the idea is that we would be sold out, all in, on fire for God. So, the past four weeks we've been looking at what a white, hot church is. And, and what we've discovered so far is a white, hot church is Christ-purposed. Spirit-empowered, God-indwelt, love-motivated. And today we're going to look at this. A white-hot church is life-changing. It's life-changing. So go to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we'll be today, uh, verses 21 to 28. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We've got ushers here. would be happy to get you a copy of God's Word. So go ahead and just raise your hand. They come around and hit a couple of these people here who didn't get one coming in. All right? All right. Here we go. You got your notes ready? All right. If you're taking notes, here's point number one as we look at life-changing. Number one, uh, the focus. Follow Jesus by setting your mind on God's will, not your own desires. It's the focus. Follow Jesus by setting your mind on God's will, not your own desires. Verse 21, Matthew 16. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We'll stop there. See the first three words? See that there? From that time. See it there in verse 21? From that time. This marks a turning point. Remember, Jesus had just gone into uh, the district of Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And the disciples here, led by Peter's response, right? they just confessed by faith that Jesus is the Messiah. Church, great moment. This is a great moment here. You remember Pastor Tim preached that a few weeks ago in Matthew 16, 13. Remember Jesus says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then he turns it on them and says, well, look, who do you say that I am? And Peter nails it bullseye, bam. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right on target, right? Jesus praises his response. That's right, Peter. So look now. Look at verse 21. From that time. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Church, um, think family chat here. Jesus now confides in those who are closest to him, those who love him, those who've walked with him, those who've left everything to follow him, and he begins to speak very frankly to them, and he begins to talk to them about the deeper, even more heart-wrenching truths of the divine plan of God that he's going to go to Jerusalem, suffer, be killed, and be raised. And think about this. They, they had just confessed by faith that Jesus is the Messiah. And so now he begins to prepare them for his death. They just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now he begins to prepare them from that time for his death. And Peter's response, which I'll show you in a moment, makes it clear. They didn't really understand leading up to this place. They didn't get that Jesus had to die, right? That his kingdom was not of this world. Sure, he said it to the Jews. They heard him, destroy this temple, and the third day I'll raise it up. But the disciples didn't really get it, didn't really understand. Sure, he said it to the Pharisees in Matthew 12. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's predicting his death and resurrection here. But the disciples didn't really get it. Here they're starting to get it now. Now they begin to start, not fully, but start to get it. Because look what Peter says. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So picture this. Peter pulls Jesus. Come here, Jesus. I want to talk to you. Jesus. Sit down. No. No. Never, Lord. Now, those things don't really go together. Lord, right? You're my master, but no, I'm commanding you or demanding you never. Never. This is never going to happen to you over my dead body, right? No, you're not doing this. You're not going to go there and die. Now, 
Of course, this was rooted in love. Peter's rebuke is actually rooted in love. He loves Jesus. But, but the day that you rebuke Jesus, God in the flesh, is a, is a very bad day by any estimation. Not a good move. And Jesus shows him just how grave his misunderstanding is, right? But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Listen to this. You are a hindrance to me. Wow. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus comes back and rebukes Peter. And Jesus is not saying here, when he says, get behind me, Satan, that Peter is somehow possessed by Satan. Everybody says, he's not saying that. Say that. He's not saying that. <laughs> okay. Here, here's what he's saying. You're being a mouthpiece for Satan. Peter, Matthew 16, the stone, has now become the stumbling block trying to get Jesus off of his mission of the cross. Here's really what he's saying. My way is better than yours, God. My way is better than yours. And we've been there too at times. It's not a good place for us to be either. My way is better than yours. We clearly see the wrong focus. Peter has his mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. His focus was what, on what he wanted, not on what God had ordained from the beginning of time. Because this here is no accident. Jesus is not out of control. He's not at the mercy of men. He's not winging it. Isaiah 53.10, it was the Father's will to crush him. Jesus himself would say in John 10, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life and take it up again. Here it is. No one takes it from me. No one. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Can I, can I just pause here? What kind of a God is this? Who would live and die and live again so that we could have life. What? There's no one like our God. Our, our God who would become man and go to Jerusalem and suffer and die, be killed, crucified on a cross, and be raised on the third day so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting life. He died so we could have life. What an incredible thought. What an incredible plan. This is God's will. But Peter, listen now, in his ignorance, right, in his brashness, Peter, in his selfishness, he tried to stop it. And I wrote this down. The bottom line is that whoever opposed Christ's mission was advocating Satan's work. He didn't want Christ to go to the cross. So whoever opposed Christ's mission, Peter here, was advocating Satan's work. And so in that way, Peter had his mind on the things of man. I mean, what, what, men, what, what men wants to suffer what man wants to die? What man wants to lose his, his friend who he's been walking with, who he trusts? So Peter's here setting his mind on the things of man, not on the things of God. Peter thought his desires to save Jesus were better than God's desires to save the world, even though he didn't fully understand what he was doing. And this is quite a contrast from the same man that confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew 16, 16. So, I can remember back in 2005, um, I was teaching at the time. I was teaching PE at a public school in Chicago. 
I was coaching football, and the Lord clearly called me uh, to leave at the end of the year to go to Moody Bible Institute for seminary and into full-time ministry. And so I told them around Christmas time that I, wouldn't, I would be finishing out the year, but then I would be going on to seminary. And I can remember a lot of my friends who I taught with, who I coached with, as I began to tell them, here's what they would say to me. Are you, Mark, you're crazy. Are you kidding me? What are you, what are you thinking? You're going to do what? Don't leave. You get, you get your summers off. Hello, you, you, you get to coach football. You get to teach PE. Like, what are you thinking? No, don't do this. You're making good money. Don't go and do this. Don't, don't risk that. Stay here. Don't do that. And all I could think of was this. That was not of God. That was of Satan. That did not come from the God who clearly called me. Those, that advice that those people gave me was more focused on the things of man, right, than on the things of God. We have to set our mind on God, the purposes and plans and the will of God. And so I wrote this down. Church, give your complete attention to God. Don't let anyone sway you from walking in his will Focus continually on the greatness of God. Encounter God in creation. Look at the sun. Look at the moon. Look at the stars. Let it show you how great God is. And by comparison, how small we are. Yet how how great his love, how vast his love is that was lavished on us. Encounter God. Focus on God. Feed your mind daily with the inspired word of God. Renew your mind with God's truth. Let it change you. Let the Holy Spirit change you. Let it change your heart. Let it shape your mind. Let it renew your mind. Focus not on the things of man, but on the things of God. Think on Jesus all the time. Who he is, what he's done, how much he loves you, how he has a plan and a purpose for your life. When we do that, our focus is beginning now to change. We have a new focus. We begin to set our mind on the things of God not on our own desires. We begin to change. Life changing here, focus changing. So let me ask you, where's your focus today? Where's your focus today? You know, I was thinking about this and I I asked myself this this week, it's a tough question, I'm gonna ask you too. And so I always ask myself, of course, before I bring it here, but here's the question. This is what God, Uh, rocked me with this week. Do you find yourself siding more with God or with Satan? In your thinking, in your focus, do you find yourself siding more with God or with Satan? Look, if we only see our own perspective, many times we miss God's. And so, where is your focus today? Is it on God? Is it on his Thoughts, his desires, his heart, his plans, his ways as revealed in Scripture. A white-hot church has been radically changed by God. We have massive change going on right here. We have a new focus. We have a new focus. We are focused on the will of God, not our own desires. In fact, we're, we're living out what it says in Colossians 3, 1 and 2, which says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, here it is, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things 
that are on the earth. Number one, life-changing, the focus. Follow Jesus by setting your mind on God's will, not your own desires. Let's keep going here in the text. As we look at a white-hot church here, number two, the second point of life change is the pursuit. If you're taking notes there, the pursuit. Follow Jesus by exchanging the old selfish life with a life that is now completely committed to God. Follow Jesus by exchanging the old selfish life with a life that is now completely committed to God. Look at verse 24 to 26. Okay, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So as you can see, points one and two really go together. We, we focus on God and we commit our life fully to God. And this church is probably one of the strongest calls of discipleship in all of the New Testament. Right? This is a strong call to do what? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow after Jesus with all of our heart. Right? He commands them to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow after him. Now remember, he's still speaking to his disciples here, right? And so when he says to them, Put yourself here in the story. When he says to them, if any one of you would come after me, if anyone would come after me, he's speaking to his disciples. And so this would have brought back memories to them of about two and a half years earlier when what? They left it all for him. They left their family. They left their friends. They left their business. They left, they left comfort. They left really the known for the unknown. And so Jesus is reminding them that following me, guys, is on my terms, not on yours. It, it demands total and complete uh, surrender and obedience to the Lord of all. Deny, take up, and follow me. In fact, those three statements there, if you look back at verse uh, 24, if anyone would come after me, you see the word there, let him deny himself. That really could be stated as a command. Uh, he must. So, so let him or he must deny himself. So, so if anyone would come after me, let him or he must deny himself. Let's take these, these three each at a time. The emphatic verb here for deny self means this, to, to deny utterly, to completely disown yourself. The, the idea is that we would deny ourselves utterly by living without a single thread of a self-centered thought as we devote ourselves exclusively to Jesus and his kingdom. No self-centered thought. We deny ourselves. We live exclusively for Christ and his kingdom. Now, this does not mean when we say deny ourselves that we think bad about ourselves. right? We're children of God made in the image of God. It means we completely disown the old selfish life by being prepared to let anything go that competes with God's kingdom. All right. I've given you a couple definitions there. Here's probably the best thing, the way I could say it. To deny yourself means to give yourself wholly to Christ. That's probably the most simplistic. To deny myself is really to give myself wholly or fully to Jesus Christ. This, this church is not 
uh, less of me, more of you. Here's what it is. None of me, God, all of you. Not less of me. Not like a little bit of denial. But to completely deny myself. None of me, all of you, God. Fully you. Take over my life. We deny ourselves. We completely disown. We follow after Jesus. And then he says we take up, to take up his cross. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. With the shadow of Jesus' own cross drawing more and more near, he now says to his own disciples, take up your cross. Take up your cross. And this, he's not telling them that they should somehow literally carry around a hundred pound cross. That's not what he's saying. That would be hard, right? I don't think we'd all fit in the building here today. What he's saying is, when he says, take up your cross, is give up your life completely for me. What it means is we're willing to pay any price for the sake of following Jesus. We, we very much identify ourselves. As we follow Christ in this world, we very much identify ourselves with the suffering, with the persecution, with the rejection, with even the, the death of Christ, because we've died in him. We are now one with him. And, and I want you to think about this, because the cross, when Jesus says to them, think of them standing around, and he says, if anyone would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross. They weren't thinking that there was something beautiful about the cross then. It was an instrument of torture and death. There was nothing beautiful about it. The only thing beautiful about the cross is that our faithful and loving Savior died on it for us. There's nothing beautiful about it. In fact, by law, no Roman citizen could be crucified on a cross. It was only reserved for the lowest of low, for the enemies. And so he says to them, take up your cross, invoking the image of the cross. And I was thinking about this this week. We, we have crosses everywhere. This is a cross here. Uh, used to have it hanging in my, um, on my rearview mirror in my car just to remind me. This later, my daughter wanted it, so we took it down and restrung it. And she wears it now, so we, we do what with crosses? We wear them as jewelry. And um, some of you have crosses stitched into clothes, right? We buy clothes with crosses on them. Uh, some, of, some people have them tattooed on their body, a cross. So we, we, many of us have them hanging somewhere, like in our house, on our walls somewhere. And so the cross today has become an accepted symbol of love and sacrifice. How many of you would say, yeah, I have a cross somewhere where I could see it, where I could see it? Most times on a day, I have a cross somewhere I could see it. Many of you, at least half or more. Well, look, here, here's the thought. Let it remind you of the call and the privilege to follow Jesus Christ every day and in every way. Let it remind you to deny yourself and take up your cross and go after him with a whole heart. And I was thinking about this. This really is here a massive call to worship, is it not? We, we are worshiping as we surrender, as we exalt him and give our life to him and say, yes, God, all of you, none of me, this is worship in life and in death. We follow him. It's what Paul was saying, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is a worship call. And so are you willing to endure it? Are you willing to endure humiliation, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even 
even possibly death like the disciples did for Christ as they stood up for the name, as they followed him to the end. Are you willing to follow Jesus completely? That's the call. That's the call. Total commitment to God himself. This this is not Jesus plus something else or Jesus plus someone else. This is a complete commitment to God himself. Is there anything that needs to go? Is there anything that needs to be put aside? Is there anything that needs to be killed and suffocated? That that sin, putting it to death, to follow him completely. This is complete commitment. He is our master. He is our Lord. We belong to him. We follow him completely and exclusively. Complete commitment. Say that with me. Complete commitment. Complete commitment. We are following Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. And now look what he says as he keeps speaking to his disciples. 4, verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is, this is awesome. I, I love this. What a truth here. Do you see it? When you give up your life to follow Christ, when you yield your life, when you yield everything to the purposes, the plans, and the will of God, here it is, look up here. Church, it's not loss, it's gain. It's not loss, it's gain when we give ourselves fully to Christ. It's better gain than anything this temporary world could offer you. It is gain for the sake of Christ. Losing your life is actually finding real life in him. So this here is what we'd call the paradox of the Christian life. To die is actually to live. To give up is actually to gain. To lose is actually to find. This is the paradox. Loss equals gain, death equals life. And what God says and what the world says many times are in conflict. We live in this tension all the time. In fact, I I brought a little illustration to show you because we live in this tension all the time as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. What God says and what the world says are different. And I was thinking about that this week and brought along a little chart. I think we have that here. Do we have that? There it is. So, as you can see, right, there... They're not the same. The the world says pride is important. God says humility is essential. The world says maintain your rights. And God says give all your rights to him. The world says save your life. And God says lose your life for my sake. The world says affirm yourself. God says deny yourself. The world says accomplishments. God says character. The world says you don't have to take that. God says take up your cross. The world says live to die. God says die to live. The world says things will make you happy. God says that he brings true joy. Walk by sight, the world says. God, walk by faith. And eat, drink, and be merry, the world says. God says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So, 
Have you embraced the paradox? Have you embraced it? Have you exchanged the old life to find real life in Jesus Christ, the Lord of all our Savior? Have you committed your life fully to God? Are you willing to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow after him completely? What would hold you back? What seems better? Are you following him completely? This is our passionate pursuit. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, we put to death our old selfish life and we, we follow Jesus Christ completely. Passionate pursuit, life changing. And I, I didn't want this moment to go by. As the Spirit of God is working in us, beginning to change us and renew our minds. Let's just take a moment. We'll get to the third point in a second. But just close your eyes for a moment. And don't miss this time. And maybe in your own mind right now, before we move on, you need to just say, God, I'm all in. God, move in me. Holy Spirit, move in me. I know I have all of you. Take all of me, God. I want to hold nothing back anymore. I'm laying it down, God. By your grace, I will abandon all of me for all of you. You are better, God. Far better, far higher. I am fully yours, God. Today, I'm taking a stand for you. I'm going to worship you, God. I'm going to encounter you, God. Exalt you and engage. I'm going to worship. I'm going to make much of you. I'm giving you first place, God. That thing is not taking it anymore. It's you, God, and you alone. Your plans, your purposes, your will, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. I'm all in. You are my pursuit, God. I am committing to you today. I'm laying it before you that I'm going to deny myself utterly. I'm going to identify myself with you completely and passionately pursue you. I'm going to follow you Church, that's life changed. That's radically changed. We have a new focus and we have a new pursuit. We focus on Jesus. We pursue Jesus. We, we focus on the will of God. We pursue the will of God. Nothing standing in our way. That is life changed. That's white hot church Follow Jesus by setting your mind on God's will, not your own desires. Follow Jesus by exchanging the old selfish life with a life that is now completely committed to God. And here's our last point now. The promise. Follow Jesus because each one of us will give an account of our life to God. Follow Jesus because each one of us will give an account of our life to God. Verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. Hold on a second now. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming back. But then he will repay each person according to what he has done. 
Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Look, is losing your life for Jesus' sake worth it? Is abandoning yourself, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him completely worth it? Answer, yes. Yes, it is, both now and forever, because Christ is coming back. And he will come, it says, with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he has done. As believers, we will give an account to God. Now, as Christians, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We, we will never be judged for our sin. Never. We will never be judged for our sin because Jesus took all the punishment, all of God's holy wrath on sin, on himself once for all. And so by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, we don't get deserved punishment. We don't get God's wrath. Only those who are outside of Christ. Only for those who have not trusted in Christ as Savior. But listen, we, we will give an account of our life to God. We will give an account of what we did with this life that God gave us for him. And so God will give rewards for what you did with the life he gave you. The time, the talent, the treasures, all of your life, we will give an account for that. And we know that everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. He sees everything. He knows everything. And so we will give a complete account, and he is a righteous judge. I was thinking about that this week. Um, you know, back in 1980, um, the, the female winner of the Boston Marathon was caught cheating. If, if you've never heard the story, eight days later after she won, they stripped her of the title and medal because they discovered that what she did was somewhere in the race, she jumped on the subway. She jumped, she jumped on the subway and rode it from like Cambridge to Boston or something and then kind of worked her way through the crowd, got back in somewhere towards the end of the race and just, just hauled to the finish line, crushing the competition. Well, they thought it was a little strange. They'd never heard of her before. Her heartbeat wasn't really up. She didn't know anything about intervals when they started asking her questions. So they began to kind of discover and look into it all and they find out that she cheated. And so they ripped the medal from her. We don't want to cross the finish line and lose the reward. In Christ, we're crossing. But you don't want to lose the reward. And God sees how we run every mile of our race called life. We can't trick him. He sees it all. We don't want to. And so we will be accountable to God on that day, and rewards will be given out accordingly. In fact, I heard it said like this, one of the greatest thoughts that can occupy a man's mind is his accountability to God. And so we follow Jesus because each one of us will give an account of our life to God with how we manage the life he gave us. And so Jesus finishes now by saying, truly I say to you, verse 28, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is already at hand. Christ has come. The, Spirit, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit soon will indwell. The spiritual kingdom is at hand, and the actual physical kingdom is coming too. 
And so we have an opportunity right now to make much of the king, to make much of the king and to be involved in the king's work. So let's be all in. Sold out, all in, on fire for God. White hot church. White hot. The focus of a white hot church is we're following Jesus by setting our mind on God's will, not our own desires. The pursuit, we're following Jesus by exchanging the old selfish life with a life that is now completely committed to God. And the promise, we follow Jesus because each one of us will give an account of our life to God. White hot, white hot, life-changing. And as we grow as committed followers of Christ and we seek to apply these biblical truths today, really to fully give our lives to God, we remember today that he fully gave his life for us. He gave his life for us. And so we want to remember that today and we want to celebrate that today as we rejoice who our Savior is and what he's done. And we're going to do that as we take communion together.